Welcome back to Prime Your Day, Prime Your Midlife. And this week it's part two of our discussion of Scalpel to Sale. A discussion with Peter Campbell about his own midlife journey and also in this episode, the lessons that he's got by metaphorically climbing his first and second mountain. It's a real insight to a personal adventure going from adversity to joy and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to Prime Your Day, Prime Your Midlife. And one of our five fundamentals is all around nutrition and obviously health. And today I am so delighted to bring to the screen today, Mr. Peter Campbell, who runs his own business called Life Without Limits. And he's going to talk to us today a little bit about nutrition, but absolutely his own personal journey through midlife. Uh, Peter Campbell, welcome to the, the podcast on the screen today. Great to see you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, we've had many conversations in the past about a whole variety of things. So looking forward to sharing some of uh, our conversation with uh, those that are tuning in today to the podcast. So uh, yeah, hi to everybody else. Yeah, it's actually quite, uh, I, I've known you for a, a long time, sort of as an acquaintance or a personality in the business world. But it was one of those serendipitous moments where a colleague of mine, uh, Tom, said, you should go to this event that Peter's speaking at. And it happened to be free. It happened to be something that piqued my curiosity. And I, I really enjoyed listening to your uh, adventure. But there must have been some incredible moments where you were just feeling grateful to be where you were at that particular moment of time. Tell us about some of those moments. Well, there were, there were so many moments that were truly breathtaking. And uh, some of them were just the amount of wildlife that you see, whether it's the birds in the air, you know, the dolphins, the porpoises, absolutely incredible. The other thing that really struck me, and I, and I guess this might have been the attraction that I was seeking all the time, was just the space. You, you, you could sail for days, weeks, and not see either land or another boat or ship. And it gave me a real sense of perspective as to how big our oceans, how big the world is, how small we are in comparison, yet how much responsibility we have. And actually, as individuals and collectively, are we taking that responsibility seriously enough in terms of being custodians and guardians of the planet? So there were some very reflective moments i think the key the best time for me was nighttime sailing at night uh, particularly when the when there was no moon and the canopy of stars as most people will imagine if they've been up to the lake districts or out to the dales at night and there's no ambient artificial light and the, the star show is just breathtaking but the greatest thing when you're out on the water is that in the wake behind the boat there's a natural uh, fluorescence, phosphofluorescence in the water from the algae, uh, which gives off a fluorescence that looks like stardust in the water. So you almost have this reflective picture going on of this stardust in the water and the stars in the skies above uh, that was truly, truly breathtaking. The thing about nighttime was that it's also the scariest time when you're on a boat. Because when things go wrong at night, they go badly wrong. And suddenly the waves 
seem bigger, the wind seems louder, you can't really see what you're doing as well as the daytime. So it was nighttime sailing was a really interesting dichotomy between being breathtakingly beautiful and incredibly terrifying at the same time. Okay, well, we may as well go there. So I know you train for something very significant, which nobody ever wants to have to face up to uh, on, on a boat, let alone when you're, you know, the nearest person to you is in the, the International Space Centre. Tell us about that nighttime experience that you that you had uh, and and what that meant to you and the crew and and the whole experience that uh, that I can remember you talking about. Yeah, so it was a it was a, it was a, a key moment in in our uh, transatlantic uh, crossing. We we got across the equator, uh, so we were over halfway, but we were still a good ten days, two weeks out of out of Uruguay. And we train uh, for a variety of different emergencies uh, as part of the Clipper crew. And Clipper are very good at making sure that uh, safety of the crew is paramount and ensuring that everybody's on the same page when it comes to dealing with emergencies, whether that is emergencies that involve fire or emergencies that involve uh, people going overboard, whatever it might be. Uh, However, when you train for that stuff, you never really expect to have to use it. And the experience was with, again, it was at night. Um, it was, it was, a, a, the wind was building. We probably, as a, as a boat, were, were overpowered. We had too big a sail up. We were going too fast in too much wind. And we needed to get the big sail down and to get a smaller sail up in order for us to be able to sail both efficiently and safely. I was off watch, so I was down below in my bunk. And the first I heard was the shout from above of man overboard, uh, man overboard, man overboard. And you instinctively go into what you have to do, part of the process that has been ingrained into us. And then you suddenly realise, actually, it's three o'clock in the morning. This isn't a drill. Oh, my God, this is this is real. Um, we would. The, my, my team, my watch were all down below. So we have very specific duties and roles. One is about making sure that the engine is on so we can manoeuvre the boat properly, uh, getting on the radio to ask for help, making sure that we've marked the location so that we can navigate our way back to it uh, on the GPS. Uh, and my role as one of the uh, medics on the boat was obviously to prepare for bringing in the crew member who'd gone overboard, uh, being prepared to manage the hypothermia and whatever other injuries they might have had. And we had to rely on the crew that were on deck to recover the crew member. It would be very tempting in real life to all rush upstairs onto the deck to try and help, but that clearly, especially at night, would have just made things more confusing and put more people at risk. So being down below, the problem was we didn't know what was going on. We had no idea how who had gone overboard. We had no idea how that recovery was going until the news filtered down that of the, the person who had gone overboard was, in fact, our skipper. So suddenly, not that it would have mattered because it doesn't matter who was overboard. You, you get them back. That's the aim. But the whole, the whole angst seemed just to be left. The stress levels just went up even more. Uh, the crew on the deck, on deck, on watch were absolutely incredible. They recovered the skipper in roundabout just over fifteen minutes. 
which at three o'clock in the morning in the Atlantic is probably just as well because uh, I think two races previously there had been an overboard uh, on a clipper event and the crew members in the water for 30 minutes so when the body was recovered they were they had unfortunately uh, drowned and passed away through hypothermia so so the skipper was recovered and he was he was clearly shocked and cold he'd had a bump on his head and a cut to his forehead cut to his eyebrow um and um but we were just glad to get him back on board uh, and to get him back and safe but as one of the medics it was then a, an eventful 24 36 hours kind of looking after him uh, and gave a real interesting insight into trying to provide healthcare in a very sparsely equipped uh, rocking, rolling um, boat, uh, not quite as stable as uh, what I was used to. But fortunately, he made a uh, he made a full recovery, and um, and and the, the crew were fabulous. The issue was afterwards, once we had got the skipper back and we knew he was safe and. And everyone took a breath and and that's when the adrenaline left everybody and we suddenly started to think about oh my god what would have been the consequences if and i'm pleased to say that for the crew that was never talked about at the time you know, nobody ever talked about what if we don't succeed here what's the plan b um, because there wasn't a plan b um, we, we we had plan a and we had been trained relentlessly to follow a process and it worked extremely well but isn't it um isn't it curious that after the event happened it's really a moment of adulation and and joy that he's alive and yet our conscious mind is now being fed with the worry and anxiety of what if yeah. and certainly that the lesson i'm taking away from that is it's important to live in the present because the present is that the captain's alive we've all played our part the training kicked in and he's alive and yet we spend as much time then analyzing what happened, which then creates almost a toxic thought yeah. process in us. It's a curious thing that, that way, the way our minds operate, isn't it? No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, um, and there the absolutely was that temptation. I think people, the crew needed time to kind of express some of that stuff. Um, I think a lot of the crew, quite rightly, were you know were, were, were doing what they needed to do, but doing it in real life. That was the first time I think any of us had ever done a real life man overboard that wasn't a drill or a practice, uh, and it certainly would have been the first time we would have done it at night. Yeah, but you're right. The focus afterwards was, oh my god, you know, thank goodness for that. You know, what if, as opposed to, hey team you've done an incredible job and it took a while before I think people could start to recognize that and to uh, and to feel good about the what had happened in the experience yeah well then there's a moment of trauma and you know PTSD and everything else it, it's well known that it, it can create a huge amounts of anxiety and the best solution yeah. is to allow it to come out That's through right. a professional yeah. um, formal environment with a trained practitioner anyway whole nother conversation i'm conscious of people's time so we're off the boat and i just want to allow people to understand 
what is it that you are now really good at and why is there such a good affinity with the uh, the midlife mindset well f- for me what what's being put together with the midlife men mindset is really close to my heart uh, I, I think it's a challenging time midlife whether you're a man or a woman uh, but i have a real passion for encouraging men to take their health more seriously to be more aware of their health to be more open when it's not something doesn't feel right um, and to recognize that there is help out there that can help them be the best that they can be despite the fact that they are increasing in age a little bit and, and to embrace that new phase of their life with health and vitality uh, so i've alluded to the fact that my career is in orthopedic surgery I now do that part time uh, and the other part of my career is to work alongside my wife Nikki um, and we run our health, nutrition and lifestyle uh, business through Life Without Limits, which is our company. And we're passionate about helping people understand what is and what isn't a healthy lifestyle mainly because there's so much information there's almost too much information out there and most of it is confusing it's conflicting and in that scenario people just don't make a decision it's just easier to stay where i am doing what i'm doing Uh, so we want to really elevate the education and empower people to make some choices made on good information uh, about what is and what isn't a healthy lifestyle for them as individuals of course there's some principles there's some generic advice that's true for most people Um, But for some people, depending upon where they are, they might need some fine tuning. So that's our real passion. Um, Most people in their midlife, particularly men, have built up careers, jobs, professions, providing for the family. And they hopefully are putting plans in place to have a financially secure retirement at some point. Um, And most of us understand the importance of planning early for that financial retirement. If we want a healthy, financially secure retirement, we need to plan now for our health in retirement. We can't wait till we retire to go on a diet, pick up the golf clubs and get some sleep. We need to be starting some of those healthy lifestyles decades earlier so that we can not only improve our own health, but for me, we can be a real role model for the younger generation coming behind us, which I think is really, really important. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. And, and my principle is always around uh, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And when I was setting up the midlife, my, midlife men's mindset initiative, I, I knew that I had a key area of deficiency, which was health and nutrition. I practice good health. I practice good nutrition. And I think that based on my last MOT, everything's you know in sync. But I couldn't talk about that with any amount of gravitas or authority. And I saw Peter and you can hear his experience when we've been talking about this. And I will acknowledge you for what you've already brought to the podcast today. But I reached out. And I said, hey, Peter, you know, I know you've got life without limits. I know it's a very successful venture already with Nikki. But would you would you like to perhaps collaborate, collaborate together and talk about nutrition and health aspects with the qualification aspect that I know I'm remiss on. And that's where we are now. So I'm delighted to say that this is our first joint venture together to talk about the combined issues associated with midlife men getting older. 
But as a combined partnership, our goal and our mission is to enable you as a midlife man to have a life that's as long lasting as possible and as able bodied as possible in both mind and physicality and also you know the relationships you have with others so uh peter it's an absolute joy to bring you into the fold and we'll announce more to everybody uh in future what that means um but what kind of things can we can we kind of expect uh, do you think coming around the corner well thank you first of all uh, for for those words uh, chris it's it, it's i'm delighted to be able to be part of the uh, of the team uh, of midlife men uh, and share all the values that you've uh, you've expressed. What I'm what I hope to bring is uh, to share some of my knowledge, is to bring some of my experiences, uh, both within the NHS, but particularly over the last decade and a half outside of the NHS, with my own learning around nutrition and lifestyle medicine. And as we said before, it's all about trying to help people understand, you know, the fundamentals of good nutrition, what is and, and, and what isn't a healthy diet emphasizing that rest, recovery, sleep, as much as we think that that's a corner we can cut, we do it at our peril. Uh, I'm trying to help people understand some of the science behind that. Um, uh, and also maybe delving a little bit into, because um, I know this is a, an area of your interest as well, is, is you know, is movement and exercise. And, uh, and actually, as we get old, as we become older, and as we get older, then what are the best movements and exercises for us to give us that sense of satisfaction, but actually boost our health and not, not drain us. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about all sorts of things around how you can plan meals, how you can work with whoever does the shopping and the cooking in your own house. And maybe we can talk about some tips and tricks and tools along the way. Brilliant. All right. Well, my closing question to everybody on these podcasts is all around this metaphor of first mountains and second mountains. And often we we go through life climbing what we think is the first mountain and it's the brilliant mountain. And then we sort of come off and then sit in the valley and then we climb what may be the second mountain. What lessons do you have, Peter, from your first lesson and then also into the second lesson that you can maybe share with people that they can take away with your experience and uh, and, and gravitas to hear? Yeah, and I love that analogy. I hadn't heard it uh, before. Uh, Chris, until we were chatting about today and you're talking about the first mountain, second mountain, I think it's really apt. So for me, the lessons that I came away with having climbed my first mountain was that whether you use the uh, analogy of juggling balls or spinning plates, inevitably when we get to midlife, we're doing a lot of it. Um, and I think one of the things that we don't do well enough is to distinguish the fact that not all of those balls are the same. Some of those balls that we're juggling are made of rubber, and if we drop them, they will be bounced and they will be perfectly safe. But some of them are made of crystal, and if we drop them, they will shatter and they're never coming back. And I fell into the trap of not recognising and identifying which areas of my life were rubber and I could leave when the pressure was on, and which areas of my life were actually the crystal precious balls that I needed to look after. And I think sometimes we get confused between what is urgent and what is important. And when we're going up that first mountain, we focus too much on the urgency of the stuff we're through, which is often work and career. Um, and we forget the stuff which is important, which is often our health, 
our relationship with ourselves and the relationship that we have with those people around us. So my first lesson was about recognizing there's a difference between those different factors. And then my second lesson has been that once I know there's a difference is, is to make sure that I dedicate and focus the same amount of energy and time and resources onto the things that are important as much as I do with my career. Of course, career and job and, and stuff are important for mental fulfillment, for providing for family, of course they are. But are we prioritizing the other stuff as much? And I certainly fell into the trap of, of not doing that. So that would be my, my other lesson. And the third one is something that we've touched on already, which is about being present. Wherever you are, be present. Whether you're at work, whether you're at home, at the gym, down the pub with mates, wherever you are at that moment in time, be present with the people who are there with you. Too often when we're climbing our first mountain, our head is either down, making sure we know where we're putting our next step, or we're looking up at the summit. We don't spend enough time stopping and just looking around at the view or even connecting with the people next to us who are walking their own mountain and connecting with the company that are with us. So, so identify the difference between the rubber balls and the crystal ones. When you found the crystal ones, protect them and nurture them uh, and, um, and look after them. And then wherever you are, be present and enjoy the journey, regardless of the destination. I love it. Peter, I, I want to acknowledge you for just bringing so much in such a short great time. Uh, I, I'm taking away so many experiences and I can't wait to have more collaborations with you. And those analogies of the rubber balls and the crystal balls, it's just so, you can just see it shattering and all the little pieces and you can't put them back together again because it's too late. And that's the whole principle of what we're trying to achieve here. It's not too late but you've got to want to change and wanting to change means you need to make a change. So thank you so much. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Look forward to working with you in the, in the future. Uh, I'm really excited about the projects that we've got coming up together. Well, anybody who's listening to this, it is actually going to be streamed in Men's Health Week in the UK. So that's the uh, week commencing, I think the uh, 12th of June in of June. the Health Week uh, mantra for the UK. Uh, so we'll be putting out a lot of content that week and this podcast will be part of that. You can find Peter on his website, which is life-without-limits.co.uk. And he does awfully, um, sorry, he does give a lot of value there already, but he will be sharing some more value in Absolutely. our own website. Peter, thank you so much. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Okay, let's check it out today from the Prime Your Life, Prime Your Midlife podcast. So remember, we have one life, so love life living life well there it is that's the second part of this two-part series if you've missed week one go back to the channel and you'll find part one of peter talking about some low points and some high points if you've enjoyed this please like share or just give us a rating or why not share with somebody else you can join the facebook group by going to mid-life.men and click on resources and you'll see all the details there Thank you so much for engaging and remember, one life, love life, live life.